I, it's a temptation today, just get on the internet, because you can, you know, Zillow is it or something, I mean, you can find land all over the place. I've talked to real estate agents that I know well in our area, and he's done that. He said typically what is on the internet is way overpriced, hoping to attract somebody from California or Texas or somewhere to come and buy it at that price. But if you go there locally and inquire, it's not that price. So that's not a good way to do it. The only way it's good is to see, well, there are some properties out there. <coughs> the best way to find land is go there in person. What we did uh, years ago, we started in California. We were teaching there. We hardly had any money. But when we had just a little, we had another couple that we had known. And they didn't have any money because he was in school. But we both wanted to live in the country. So we took a trip. And we went for about a month or five weeks. Um, and we both wanted to live in the West if we could. So we started in Southern California and we went all the way to Canada and out through Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming and made a circle back. And <coughs> we had a six-week baby with us. It was quite the trip. Uh, Paul drove and I navigated. And we looked for every little forgotten valley that there was. We stayed away from the major cities and all of that, but within reach of them. Or, or a tourist center like Glacier Park turned out to be for us. On that one trip in about a month, we found five or six valleys like ours. They had private land, but not a lot. There was something wrong with them. They were either on the wrong side of the mountain, they were too far from town, uh, soil was too rocky. In the case here, our valley had been homesteaded, one of the last places in the United States to be homesteaded. They were still homesteading into the 30s there. Our place was homesteaded about 1905. Um, and the at one time, in the 30s, there were 400 people living in this valley, pioneers. They all had kids. There were two public schools, log, little log schools. This is all the history of the valley. But they found out, they were all going to be, one of them told us, there were a few of the original homesteaders still left when we first moved there in the 70s. And they told us, they all thought they were going to be wealthy ranchers. But they found out <coughs> that this valley is surrounded by high mountains all the way around. There's just kind of one canyon that goes out. And because of that, it has a bathtub effect, which means that the only air coming in basically comes at night. The air starts to cool, and the air on the mountaintops gets cold, so it's heavy, and it, it goes to the bottom, just like in a bathtub, and sits there. So the nights are cold. And they can even frost in the summer. And voila, they found that you can't grow hardly anything there. And so eventually they all left, almost all of them. <coughs> Our property, if you can believe this, it just breaks my heart. We only have about a fourth of a homestead because you could homestead 160 acres. So ours is part of the original Macintosh homestead. In the 40s, an older lady who we came to know quite well, she's passed away now, she bought that property for back taxes for 300 and some dollars. The whole 160 acres. The poor old homesteader, they'd have five children. And one of those children came back one day. She was in her 70s. And she showed up at our door, knocked on the door, and she said, I forget her first name, but I'm so-and-so Macintosh. I lived here, my family homestead. I just wanted to see what had happened to the place. And we sat her down and we grilled her for three or four hours on what life was like there, what happened, and all the rest of it. Um, 
But that's what happened. The homesteaders left. It was a tough valley. It's too cold. It was too far from town. Thin soil. And like one of the guys said that lived there many years, you can't eat the scenery. It's a beautiful valley. Beautiful. But to live there was a little more of a problem. Quickly. There's a, there's a wonderful resource book called Strategic Relocation by Joel Skousen. And he did what he has done throughout the U.S., what you did on your loop. Okay. Are you familiar with the No, book? I'm not. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll have you record that so everybody can hear that. But you need to do that. We found these valleys. But I'll tell you another thing that's important about getting country land. The best land with the water and the springs and this and that often is not on the market. It doesn't need to be. Because if anybody wants to sell it, they just tell Fred or Joe, whatever the neighbors are, hey, oh yeah, I want that. And it just passes like that. It doesn't even go through the market. Our property that we got was not on the market. We have some other Adventist friends who just bought property in our valley much below market value. It was not on the market. We know another guy who bought a property, uh, this is 10 or 15 years, 20 years ago. The property had been on the market, but nobody, it was so remote, nobody, and the guy got discouraged and he, and he lived in Oregon <laughs> and he just took it off the market and that's the way it was. When this guy, he went around and found the property he wanted rather than looking for what was for sale, found out the history of it, he drove all the way to Oregon Montana knocked on this guy's door and they struck it he said I've always wanted to live he was near retirement age I wanted to live in the country I wanted to that property is beautiful for what I want if you don't really need it why not sell it to me the guy fell in love with him you're I want you to use my property that's great they struck a deal that's how you get good property but it takes time you got like Ellen White said you got to help work hard to help open up the way it isn't just going to fall in your lap. The best thing is go to a place, start asking questions. If you're, I'm not timid. Some people wouldn't do this. But I go up to a ranch house and just knock on the door. <laughs> hey, I was coming through your valley. You've got a beautiful piece of property here. My name's so-and-so. Um, what's it like gardening here? People love, especially the ladies, love, oh, I grow this, and I got an apple tree, and you know, Fred over here. I mean, you'll learn a lot. And finally you say, now, do you know anybody that's got any property here's got springs on it oh yeah Ruth over here or whatever people get older sometimes their kids don't want the property they want it to go to somebody who will take care of it that's how you find good property so do that if you can and have the time move there while you keep a job a city job of some sort don't buy anything rent a cabin or a house in town if you have to for a while, six months, a year or something. Every minute you get, explore the area till you know the climate, you know the people, you've been to the courthouse, you know what's going on, you'll find a good piece. But if you, this is my opinion, the Lord tests us that way, I think. If all you want is to sit in your present house, wait till some idiot comes along and offers you twice what it's worth, and you're going to take that as a sign that God wants you to move, and then you're just going to wait till somebody tells you that there's property in Idaho or Tennessee or whatever, you might luck out, but you're not likely to find good property that way. You're going to find it the old-fashioned way. With You're just going to have to have <coughs> boots on the ground. And that really, I've seen it work over and over. People have often said, well, you're lucky. You found a place to spring. I mean, we could never do that. I mean, yeah. 
That's not truth. Well, and the truth of the matter was, even though you've got to go out there and turn those rocks over, look, look, look for property, uh, the Lord still is there. He's number one. He's guiding you where to go. And the way we found our present property was amazing because our heart was set on the property just south of us. It was an old homestead, uh, much cheaper, totally undeveloped as far as a road into it. Ours had a road to it, but no other development. It a bad road. Yeah, a no. bad road. Uh, and we were all set. We made an offer on this property because um, that was our property. However, unfortunately for the lady, uh, it was owned by... Original homestead. It was original homestead related to the people that homesteaded ours. It was They were sisters, okay? She was the last living um, uh, of mom and dad that had homesteaded it, and um, she got sick. The week we were going there from California, we took our spring break, drove up there. We were going to seal, seal the, deal. the deal, yeah, and uh, she got and died in flu. the nursing home so we couldn't buy it and died the week we were up there put it into probate end of land her and son who was in Frank who was in <coughs> his 70s and desperately wanted to sell it to get something out of the old family property he told me he said I can't get you a deed for two years yeah. and we were we're not gonna wait two years so we we went back and the realtor we were working with was a wonderful guy he was the only guy in town who would drive out there that's another thing when you go to a town, go to lots of realtors, be real sweet and nice, and they're all going to sell you what they have. They're going to sell you a ranch yet. They're going to sell you a recreation piece, a house, or whatever. And you keep asking, now, who's, who's a realtor around here? His family's been here for 100 years, and they know everything. Ah, it's so-and-so. You'll find the guy. There's only usually one person who knows, you know, good country property. Otherwise, they're going to try to sell you a development or something like that. Anyway, I don't want to leave the lady died. Well, no. <laughs> Good came from that. Uh, what happened was that, yes, like he said, this other uh, realtor, we'd been working with him, and he had told us about this property. It wasn't on the market it either. It wasn't on the market. <coughs> but anyway, she died. It went into probate. And he had this friend that had the property right next to it, right north of it, part of which we own now. And he said, well, he said, He's thinking maybe he would be willing to sell because before we came to California, he wasn't <coughs> willing really to sell it, especially not the way we wanted to buy it because we had to, we would have to buy minimal amount, and he wanted to cut it the long, skinny way. So it have riverfront. We didn't yeah, want riverfront. Yeah, and we didn't care about the riverfront because it just upped the price. And so anyway, the rest of that day, which a uh, week, which was like two days, we went and stomped all over it. The realtor went up there with us on Friday. We went back to town with the realtor. We wrote up an offer in the afternoon, and who walks into the office as we were finished? Of course, this is Friday, and it's going to be Sabbath soon. So, And we had to go back to California Saturday night so we could hours teach of driving. Monday morning. <laughs> and so in walks the guy that owned the property he sits down and our and realtor not because the realtor called him he just no, happened he to just be walking by to visit his in. friend the realtor and so the realtor says hey we've got an offer a deal here for you so he told him what our terms could be <laughs> and no more and I'll never forget uh, the owner looked at us 
kind of in a fatherly way, and he said, because we were kids back we then. We were 27. He says, you kids really want to do this? And what do you want to move yes, all yes, the way yes. up? <laughs> he was trying to talk us out of buying his property. <laughs> and he said, yeah. okay, I'll do it. And he said, we I'll cut it, it any way you want to cut yep. it. He liked it because he saw us, saw us, we were eager, we were... I mean, we were, we were, they called us the California kids. <laughs> I mean, and people did that. They came from California, stayed one winter, and blew away. <laughs> they were away. gone. But They've anyway, seen that time and time again. The Lord so. definitely sent us to the property he wanted us to have. And he will do that for every one of God's people. You think about Palestine. Think of all the country property around Palestine. What's it like? Desert. It's all desert. But the Lord preserved one little beautiful spot for his people. I believe there is a great piece of property with great water on it and good timber and everything you need for every one of God's serious people. Not for everybody, but the fact is most people don't want to live there anyway. They want to live in town somewhere next to Costco or whatever. And so it has left, but typically it's going to be property like this that is a little harder Okay, and in our case, you gotta love snow. You know, that's from the top of the property again. Uh, this, this is the sign. This is our driveway where it starts. We're a mile down that road, and I have to plow that road uh, to get to our place in the winter. Forty-one miles to the nearest town, and it's sixteen miles to Canada. So it gives you an idea. And if you just say, "I'm not gonna do that." You may miss a great piece of property the Lord wanted you to live on because it might help your health to have to shovel snow a little bit. <laughs> this is this is Pole Bridge on a typical day, not with Fourth of July parade. There's a few tourists around in the summer. Notice the signs, Glacier Park this way. There's a hostel over there. That guy's a friend of ours that makes a living running a hostel. It's very short. Uh, some of the signs you can't even read. But that's that's our only store, and we don't buy anything there because the prices are tourist prices. They, do, the cinnamon rolls there. they yeah, do. They have a bakery. <laughs> they do a bakery in the summer and they're That's well good. known. <laughs> we know the people that run it. This is Pole Bridge in the early season. Closed. So it's a very short season. They were doing some repair. No shooting, private land because everybody thinks it's a wilderness up there. It kind of is. And so people forget that people actually live there. Notice the one sign, I don't know if you can read it, it says the way less traveled by B&B. Those are some friends of ours. They're Sabbath keepers, but they're not Adventist people that live 17 miles north of there. They make a good share of their living. You wouldn't think, who would drive? Because that's farther than we are. It's like 55 miles from town or something. They have people come up because there's a lot of people today want to get away from it all, even for just one weekend and go to the wilderness in Montana, and you can make a living. This is, I'll talk about this in family business. We know several people, including us, have made part of our living by renting cabins because people love it. Uh, they're not going to live there. Um, that's the road uh, with a little bit of snow. Gotta love snow. This is in the winter again. That's little Curtis and the two dogs. This is why nobody moves to Montana, okay? <laughs> Um, this is on the driveway going down to our place. This is what we do for <coughs> recreation. <laughs> I think it's Get wonderful. I mean, <laughs> we would have Saturday night parties doing this kind of thing because people don't, we didn't know how to drive on it. This is one of our students. 
and he was a senior, so I let him have his car there, and he's pretty savvy, but he didn't really know how to drive on, he's from Tennessee. He skipped putting chains on, bad yeah. choice. What <laughs> happens in the winter, we have <laughs> snow-packed roads that are hardly slippery at all, wonderful most of the winter, but once or twice every winter, it thaws. We don't really like thaws, because it rains a little bit, it turns the snow into glare ice, you can't hardly stand on it. Notice the guys are standing in the little bit that's dirt there. He tried to get up the road. The, the tires just quit turning. I mean, they were turning, but they weren't going. And he just slid backwards, and you always slide off the wrong side, and it almost tipped, but not quite. So now is a great opportunity to do some homestead physics. <laughs> and we just used, you know, our own little winches and all that. But I'll show you. See, it? This is I'm in the blue here helping him out. Notice on the bottom of my boots I have what are called, um, what's yak the name tracks. of that? They're not yak tracks. These are, they're like crampons, but they got spikes on the bottom. You can walk, you can walk anywhere. It's a brand you can get. They, yeah, I forget what they, this, I can't remember the name of the brand, but anyway. You just learn to do a few. You only have to wear them a, sh a little bit in the winter, but when you need them, you need them. Okay. We pulled him out. And there they are, working away at it. No, it was just tied to a tree, and we're just using a hand to come along. It's the best thing, usually. The tractor would have. I have a track, small tractor. We, we lived without a tractor for probably 25 years. We have a little Kubota now, but you put spiked chains on it for the winter. But even so, it would have a struggle pulling that out because it just churned. I put this in so you can see there are advantages to living in the mountains. That would never happen in Texas, I think. Be first, it wouldn't snow that much, but the wind would blow it off. Look at that. It's almost two feet high on a narrow little fence just sitting there. And it never blows off. It just gets so high, it finally starts to tip, and one day it just falls off. So it is a real advantage. Um, typically, a typical winter day in our valley, and it's colder than a lot in Montana, is in the 20s, and at night it's in the teens warmer than it was here last night and there's no wind you can typically go out in just a nice jacket and a hat and a pair it's not that I used to I should never do this I used to tell people how wonderful it was now I tell people how terrible it is so it won't get overpopulated but if you can get past snow snow our snow is actually white too a lot of places it's not white it gets brown really fast from all the dirt and everything um, Winter is the time you slow down. You don't try to beat winter. You don't get in your car and go to work no matter what. You just don't do that. It's a time when you can read more books. You can spend time with the kids. You can go skiing and sledding. And for us, it's kind of short because we start gardening in late January, early February because that's when we begin our starts and so on. Um, but it's still there, and snow's a factor. It's still beautiful, though. I mean, that's taken on top of our hill. Ted took this picture. It's just so many beauties in snow. And that's Rochelle. They love skiing. Uh, they're a lot better skiers than I am. I skied for years. But the, our ski slopes there, some of them are so uncrowded that when the early season, late season, you can take your dog. Um, you have to hike up, but still. Uh, this is in the summer in Montana, but this is in Glacier Park. You can drive early here summer. early summer. The dogs love it. In the spring, they look for the last big piles of snow <laughs> on our place, and they go lay there and put their belly on it because they're, they're overheated. 
I mean, so if you dress right like they do, it's not that bad. <laughs> That's right behind our house, probably 20 feet out the back door. That's all the water you need. Again, I'll just put that picture in. You don't need a lot, but you need some flowing water. This is a shot of the springs in colder season, but here you can see how they, they're on a hill and the hill just drops away. Look for a place that has a good spring. We actually saw some here in Texas on the way, and I went to see some of them. There are springs in Texas, uh, not as many. And I was going to tell you, people say you can't. Well, we had one family come. They were having trouble finding a piece of land. They said, would you help us look for land? And so I said, sure. So we went out in just northwest Montana. In two days, we found four properties for sale that all had enough water to produce your own power. And a lot of them gravity feed even to the house and so on. They're out there. The way I did it, because I've done this now, I went to the guy in town and I said, I don't want to waste your time. I'm looking for the realtor that knows all the backwoods properties and knows everybody's family or ranchers here forever and all that. He said, it's Bob over here, whatever his name was. I went over there, told him, said, I want to buy, you know, a little track somewhere. I don't want to buy a recreation piece. I told him, exactly. he says, I know exactly what you want. I know something. He knew the people. He's the guy that led us to those four places. It's out there. You just got to find it uh, and work at it. Uh, in our valley alone, there's probably 10 properties similar to ours that all have water on them. They, I think I've helped put in five hydroelectric plants in our valley or sold them the stuff. Um, and there's a lot of places people aren't using them because they're summer people and don't care. There's another, another one of our spring bottoms there. Same shot again of how much water you need. You need some elevation. We talked about that. Hills on a property are wonderful because they give you, they make you feel like you have more property. We only have 37 acres, and if you go out here where it's open, mark off 37 acres, it doesn't look like hardly anything. But in our place, it looks like a lot of land. It gives you a lot of privacy. And that's what a forest does too. Forests give you private, uh, privacy as well as giving you fuel, and the needles and the leaves give you compost, and the wood when you burn it gives you ash for your garden. I mean, it's a great thing to have. Uh, you gravity feed right to your garden, which is very helpful. You may only have a place like this with just water at the bottom, it's the bottom of the hill. I threw this picture in. I don't know if you can tell why. Notice that some of the grass is brown, and forgive me, Texans, but it looks like Texas. <laughs> okay, now. Uh, the rest of it's green. The reason is, is I did not water, sprinkle the lawn in front of our, of our orchard greenhouse. I just, it's hardly grass there. I just left it. That's what our whole place would look like by the end of the summer and our garden if we didn't have water. Montana looks like it's green all the time because there's only a short growing season. But in that season, it hardly rains. And if you clear all the trees and, and you just plant crops, they will dry out. The soil is very porous. It's rocky, which is wonderful. We don't have to worry about heavy clay soils and all that. But you, you <coughs> dump water on it, it goes right through. <coughs> so you need a water supply if you're going to grow your own food. This is another family. Um, that This is the guy that went to Oregon and talked to the guy in buying, selling the property. They didn't have springs, but they had a beautiful mountain stream on their place. And I, I helped Rudy build this a concrete intake there, put it in the stream. This is at the far end of their place, and he had to pipe it over 2,000 feet. I only have to go 350 feet, 
But in 2,000 feet, he got the same drop, 80 feet of drop. So their houses gravity feed and, and all that. This is, he puts a sprinkler system <coughs> above ground to keep his place green there, um, so on. This is the river in our place. It's beautiful. It's great recreation. I talked to it. Don't, in my view, don't buy riverfront property if you have to pay for it. Now, if you don't have to pay for it and you can use it, fine. But in our area, this is a wild and scenic river. They won't let you put anything in the river. I mean, you'd have to go jump through a lot of hoops because you're going to harm the fish and you know, all this sort of stuff. And so it's very difficult to use riverfront. And in our area, it costs a lot more per acre to buy it. You need a wonderful uh, fuel supply, like we talked about. This is on our place where we thin the woods a little bit. Try to buy land that, I don't know, maybe somebody here can tell me. In our area, you need 20 to 30 acres of forest to produce enough fuel for all your needs. We get about one cord per acre per year. Down here, my guess is you get double that or more. Does anybody know? Uh, what? Well, that's a problem. <laughs> Yeah, buy a place that has trees, some trees at least. Um, down in the south, though, you don't need as much land for fuel because you have a shorter heating season, and trees grow a lot faster here. There are places in California where they planted eucalyptus trees that produce seven quarts of fuel per acre per year if they have plenty of water. Um, so it varies a lot around the world. Uh, this is just some of the other trees in the forest there. Occasionally we do cut a big tree in our places because this was in the view from Ted and Rochelle's house. And when we do, we try to save that wood and we mill it. And I'll show you that later. Well, I guess, no, right here. I was going to do more on, uh, on building your own house. But we used a chainsaw mill to mill. We probably milled 30,000 board feet, if you know what a board foot is, in our life there. Saved us tons of money. Uh, they're really great for beams. And notice little Curtis, he's learning how you make your own lumber. Um, and I'll show you a lot more in another section on that. Here's how to look at property. This property is for sale. Some of you want to move to Montana. It's only about three or four miles south of us. And you see the real estate sign there. There's 100 and about 160 acres, I think. has a beautiful view of the mountains. But there's right a big, now. right now. It, it has a, the trees will grow, but it has a problem. It has two problems. It has a seasonal creek, which means it dries up when you need it. Okay, never forget that. That's what that means. And it, this place burned not too many years ago, and trees came up thick. Look at the forest. You'd never be able to use that. Here's a close-up of the forest. It's going to be 40, 50 years before you're going to have a decent woods and trees big enough to build with and so on. Um, that would make a wonderful recreational piece, and somebody will buy it for that, or a hunting cabin, but I it's not a homestead piece, in my opinion. Another thing you need, as we talked about, find a place where there are at least a few other Avenus families that you can depend on, <coughs> can help you with your building, that you can consult with, you can confide in, you can encourage one another, and your children can grow up together. This is an uh, outing in, in late, uh, probably October, and this is uh, families, like-minded families from several different churches in our area. I showed you a picture like this before. We, it's, you want to be surrounded with beauty where you can do your church services some too. You want to have wildlife on your place. This is another shot of grizzlies taken right from somebody's porch. It's actually on that same place that had the
Creek. Lots of deer. This is a classic picture one of my neighbors took. You're not going to get that picture too often. A moose and a bear looking at each other in the wild. <laughs> Another beautiful moose in the country we have. You want to have a place where you can go right out your door and have world-class recreation. Beautiful places to hike and walk. It saves you a ton of money if you don't have to drive off somewhere and spend a lot of money to just to have a vacation. That's Ted and Rochelle hiking in Glacier. You, I was going to bring that up. I don't have a gym men membership. You probably know why. And you don't need to buy a treadmill. That's true. Um, uh, this, the lakes up there, many of them are turquoise, uh, blue or green, because they have glacial melt in them. This is, what, this is the best of family life. I mean, this is one of our neighbors that have it. This guy had his family out there. Look at the excitement in that little girl's face. And it's not because she's looking at YouTube, okay? <laughs> it makes a difference. Um, and some of the creatures there are actually kind of cooperative. You do have to be careful, though. This is another property. This is our home. It's probably a half a mile, maybe three-quarters of a mile, <coughs> our house, from this property. I know the fellow that owns this well. He's a good friend. He's a, a wonderful Christian. He's not an Adventist. He actually lives uh, down south here. He's cleared this place to build a home. But this property has a beautiful view. But the timber is problematic and there's no water. He doesn't want it for that. He wants it for a recreational piece. And it'll make a beautiful home for him someday. He's actually a little older than me and I don't know if he's ever going to build it now. But I wouldn't recommend you buy that property for a homestead. But for recreation, yes. Here's another home that's just uh, probably a mile from our place. Perched up on a hill, it's a recreation piece for somebody, a summer home. See the water supply? You maybe could get this to work if you have enough drop and use a high lifter or something. Uh, otherwise, it's high and dry up there. Now, this property may not look like much. It's actually an original homestead cabin that's been carefully maintained by the family, uh, people that have owned it. I think the original owner's heirs still own it. Uh, I knew the guy that lived there for years and years. Um, it just looks open, but this would make a really good homestead. And the reason is, is behind that property, about a thousand feet away, up a hill, is a beautiful spring. Runs right down past it. You can make all your power. In fact, I helped him put in a hydro plant years ago. He actually wrote a, uh, he wrote a little article in the paper about it. He was so excited. Um, you could have gardens. He used to grow his beautiful soil on this place. So you never know until you look around. But this one, you could do a homestead on. This is south of our place, uh, down by Flathead Lake. Flathead Lake is a beautiful, pristine lake. You do see a few boats out there. Uh, a lot more people in this area, but it's a lot drier. This, this would make wonderful homestead property if you had a spring or a flowing stream. And there are some there, but most of it is so dry. Or a shallow well, and you could put uh, <coughs> solar pumps on it. You could work that way. But you got to realize you can't just go there and start planting. You've got to figure something out for water. I just took a few other shots. This is in Arizona. You'd say nobody could ever live there, uh, you know, like a homestead. And yet people have. This is in Arizona. Um, this actually became part of a national monument, almost a national park I went to. And the original owners of some of the land lived there. They just had a windmill. And you can still use windmills to pump water. Um, this is in Arizona. It almost looks like the Midwest. 
Right? Most of it is desert. You just there's places anywhere that you. I think you can make a homestead almost anywhere if you're careful and you are think carefully about how you're going to get all your food and so on. There's some people here. <coughs> I, they may be or This is one of our sister schools in Utah, and it looks pretty dry there, but. They have rights not on the spring, but a beautiful stream that comes from the mountains to the left. They can produce hydropower. They don't, but they could. And they can water all their fields in this huge commercial greenhouse, all with gravity-fed water. Uh, that's the pond on the place, uh, and they have students there as well. This is in Arizona. And you wonder, why would anybody be there? You see the old foundation? That was an old stagecoach stop. And the reason is, is just out of the picture to the right is a beautiful spring. And it's, it's now some little state park or something. You can go there. I went to the spring. Um, the pioneers knew what was important, and you and I need to know the same. This is probably a part of the country you wouldn't want a homestead, though. It's just flat and open, no water at all. This is in Alaska. We love Alaska. We thought of homesteading there. Much of Alaska would be really hard, but the coastal parts actually have big trees. Uh, you just gotta love rain there. I knew a guy, he wasn't an Adventist, but um, uh, he was actually the fellow who sold us our land years ago, and he was a teacher in his earlier years, and he had taught in Juneau, Alaska, and he in the public school system. He told me that every day in the school year, every day that the sun shone any way significantly the let out school so the kids could play and enjoy it. It rains a lot there, especially in the winter. So if I was there, I'd build a big greenhouse, kind of like my solarium, because it would shed the rain, and then you could grow a lot of things, and it's so warm that you wouldn't burn much wood, and hydropower, I would think, would be easy. I mean, I can think of all kinds of solutions for it, but you got to love rain. And I don't like rain as well as I like snow. And everybody has different needs and so on. These are some homes in Alaska. That's all for that section. What time is it? My time's up. Okay. We'll come back and do building your own home. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org dot audioverse dot org.